Would you have open uh, your Bibles once again to Exodus chapter 15, that first scripture reading from earlier. So that's found uh, on page 57 of the church Bibles. And we're taking as our text this morning Exodus 15 and particularly verses 1 to 18. And you can see there from the heading and you will have picked up as a theme perhaps this morning that this is a text all about a song, isn't it? We've already been doing some singing this morning, quite a bit of singing. How has that been, how has that been for you? Have you been singing? Have you been singing and joining your voice to those around you? Have you been singing not just with your vocal cords in your mouth, but have you been singing from the heart this morning? Or is your heart a bit heavy even as your words, your your mouth goes through the motion of projecting those words? This text is about singing a song of praise to the Lord from our hearts because our hearts have been changed by his redemptive work. In order to sing the kind of song that this text is pushing us to sing, we have to know what it is to have been redeemed. It's a redemption song. Now, as soon as you hear that phrase, depending on who you are, some of you might think, right, 1980, and many covers ever since, Bob Marley records his famous redemption song. Now, if you haven't heard that song, actually, you probably have. I, I can't imagine anybody who's not heard that playing at some point around you in your life. But you might not have tuned in. Bob Marley's redemption song, he said, was a song of freedom. It was a song of liberation from oppression. He was singing, he said, in the hope of emancipation from, what does he say? Mental slavery. Emancipation, being set free from the shackles that bind your mind in this world. And he asks us then in the chorus to sing with him, won't you help to sing these songs of freedom? That's Bob Marley's version of a redemption song. Exodus 15, which is often labeled or known as the song of the sea, is really the song of the exodus. And because it's the song of the Exodus, it is the redemption song. It's a song of absolutely about emancipation, about being set free, but not from mental slavery, or not only from that, from literal slavery in Egypt. And what's more, it's a beautiful picture for us of what it means in the Christian life to be set free from slavery to sin, the Lord's mighty power that sets sinners free, that delivers them, and that brings them to himself that they might worship him. So I want to ask you, just as we start this morning, having a look at God's word, do you need to be set free this morning? Do you need to be redeemed? Maybe for you, maybe for you it's for the first time. To be set free from your sins and the shackles of slavery to sin that bind you. Or maybe, maybe you've already been redeemed, but you need again to know the redemption power of the Lord's work in your life to free you to live in gratitude for His glory. This is a redemption song. It's a little picture in miniature for us of the Christian message of salvation and redemption. So let's have a look at it. We're going to look at it in under three headings because this is a song. It's a beautiful song, as Adrian signaled for us, a jubilant song. You can tell that even as you listen to the words. 
And it's a song that highlights, I think, at least three things. First of all, it's a song of salvation. It's also, however, a song of exaltation. And then finally, we'll see it's a song of new creation. A song of salvation, a song of exaltation, and a song of new creation. Have a look at verse 1, please. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. Do you see that first little word there? Then. Then they sang. This comes after something, doesn't it? We're dropping down in the middle of a story that's already been unfolding. This is a then in response to an event that has just happened. It's a then that points us back to the opening chapters of Exodus, and particularly back to Exodus chapter 14. In fact, if you have, have a look, there, look at Exodus 14, the crossing of the Red Sea. You might just scan your eyes down that chapter if you don't know it well. And then you remember what we've heard read to us, Exodus 15, and you might be forgiven for asking, hang on, why do we have two chapters in a row that really tell us the same thing? Isn't that a bit much? Isn't that a little bit redundant? That first we get chapter 14 telling us about the Red Sea deliverance in a prose narrative. And then we have Exodus 15 telling us the same story, but this time in poetic language. That's maybe a little bit harder to understand. What's going on? Why do we have these two different tellings of the story in two different genres? This is not redundancy. This is how, this is how in the Old Testament world you celebrate the victory of a great king over a great enemy. In fact, if you keep a finger there, or you can just take my word for it, and you look over at Judges, Judges chapters 4 and 5, you'll see the same kind of pattern. What happens in Judges 4 and 5? That's when the people of Israel again are already, they're in the land, but again they need redemption. They need protection. They need salvation from an enemy. There's an enemy king who's about to attack them by the name of Jabin and Sisera, his general. And the Lord delivers them with great power. And so in chapter 4 of Judges, you get the prose version. And in chapter 5, you get a poetic celebration of the same event. This is how in the Old Testament world you celebrate the great king's victory over his enemies. When I was in university, I spent some time living in Israel and studying there. And one week we were able to take a trip to Egypt. And we took a train down the Nile, down to Luxor and Karnak. And if you've ever gone to Egypt, maybe you've been there. These great temples, massive pillars that still rise up as high as this ceiling. Bigger than you can even put your arms halfway around, these pillars. And there on the walls of this ancient Egyptian temple, what do you see? You see in Egyptian hieroglyphic writing and in picture form, the retelling of the great victory of Pharaoh Ramses II. And guess what? There's a prose version, and then there's a poetic version of his victory at Kadesh, the Battle of Kadesh. This is how, in the Old Testament world, you tell the victory of a great king. So what is Exodus 15 about? Exodus 15 is the poetic song version celebrating the great king Yahweh's victory over his enemies in redeeming his people. Exodus 15 is a triumph song 
to the Lord. It's a triumph song of salvation. A song of salvation in several ways. First, it's a song of salvation, salvation from slavery. Israel was in Egypt. At the end of Genesis, you know the story, many of you. They go down to Egypt for protection and for food. They end up staying there for 400 years. The Lord blesses them. They multiply greatly. But the pharaohs then forget, forget that it was Joseph who found favor. And they begin to mistreat them and enslave them and work them hard. And they are pressed. And we come to the point in Exodus chapters 1 and 2 that the Pharaoh wants to wipe them out. And he's got a program of genocide, of infanticide. Kill all the babies, all the male babies. Wipe them out. They are enslaved and they are under threat for their very lives. And they groan and they cry out to the Lord for deliverance. Why do they cry out to the Lord? Why don't they just, why don't they just have a revolution? Why don't they just stage a sit-in or a protest? Why don't they throw off the shackles and emancipate their minds? They can't, can they? This is heavy slavery. This is a slavery from which they cannot set themselves free. They are powerless to deliver themselves. And so the Lord raises up a deliverer in Moses. And he sends Moses, you know the story, don't you, to Pharaoh. Boys and girls, you know the story really well, I think. What does, what does Pharaoh say to Moses? Uh, sorry, Moses to Pharaoh when the Lord sends him back. He says, let my people go. He comes back with a command from the Lord to set his people free. To save them. And Pharaoh, of course, says no. And the power of the Lord begins to be poured out upon Pharaoh in plagues and destruction and ultimately of death, the death of the firstborn. The Israelites spared, of course, because of the blood on the doorposts as that angel of death passes over. And then, finally, Pharaoh relents and he lets them go and the people are set free. The Exodus is salvation from slavery. And this morning we have to pause and remember what this song celebrates, the culmination of being set free from slavery, a slavery that you cannot free yourself from. It's a reminder for us in a graphic way of what slavery to sin is like for each and every one of us. Sin is, according to God's word, a brutal a merciless slave master. And what is sin? Sin is disobedience to God. It's, it's rebellion against God. It's turning our backs on His commands and doing what we want to do and living our lives in our own ways. And we are all sinners before a holy God, enslaved to sin unless, unless, He himself sets us free. Because you can't set yourself free from sin any more than those Israelites in Egypt can set themselves free from the slavery under which they were. But this God, this God who sets them free, that's the same God to whom we can turn to be set free from the slavery of sin. The only God who can set sinners free and redeem them. This is salvation from slavery. It's also salvation from our enemies. Do you see what's going on in these chapters, 14 and 15? Look back at 14, chapter 14, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel, they've come out. 
They're being brought out by the Lord, but then suddenly what happens? They look back and there's a dust cloud on the horizon. And it's not, it's not a celebratory party wishing them well. It's Pharaoh and his troops. They've changed their mind. They're coming to chase them. And chapter 14 tells us, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp here at the sea. Encamp facing the sea. And Pharaoh's going to come. And he's going to think, the Lord says, that he's got you now. The Israelites are trapped. They thought they'd been freed. And now they find themselves hard-pressed. The sea is behind them. Pharaoh is closing in in front of them. They've got over a half million men plus women and children. And they're defenseless there before the onslaught of one of the greatest kings in the world at that time. And his chariots and his weaponry and his trained soldiers. They are trapped again. Israel is hard pressed. And in verse 10 of chapter 14, what does it say? When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They'd already been set free from slavery, and here, here so soon, they found themselves hard-pressed again. They were trapped. They were tempted to despair. But what happened? Chapter 15, what happened? Verse 1. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. Verses 4 and 5. Pharaoh and his army cast into the sea. They sank down into the depths. Verse 6. The Lord shattered his enemies utterly. Verse 7. They were overthrown. Verses 9 and 10. Do you see what Pharaoh was saying? I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil, I will draw my sword. But what happens in verse 10? The Lord sends a puff. He blows with his wind, and the sea destroys them. This is salvation from enemies in an astounding way. Do you see the power of the Lord here? Having rescued his people from slavery in Egypt, he now defends them. He is the one who fights for them. The Lord is a man of war who is willing to descend to help his people and defend them from any onslaught of any enemy. And brothers and sisters, do you understand what that means for you this morning? That not only is this the Lord who saves you from your sin and slavery to sin and sets you free, He's also the Lord who defends you from all of your enemies. So I want to ask you this morning, are you, are you hard pressed? Do you feel like, even though you have been redeemed from your own sin, that you are still, even as a believer, that you are, you are trapped? That your life is a mess? That the effects of sin, that your relationships, that things are not what they should be, are you hard? Do you feel like Israel there before the Red Sea with Pharaoh and his troops closing in on one side and the waters behind you and you've got nowhere to go and you don't know how to sort yourself out? Is that you this morning? Because if that's you, you need to hear what this song celebrates. This celebrates the power of Almighty God, Yahweh Himself, to deliver you from your enemies. To deliver you not just from slavery to sin, but from sin's curse and sin's power and sin's consequences. His power, his might, he breathes, puff, 
and they're destroyed and the people are redeemed. That's salvation from enemies. Thirdly, salvation from the death waters of judgment. This is a beautiful picture. And boys and girls, again, maybe you've seen what I think is actually one of the better adaptations of this in a children's film, The Prince of Egypt. Have some of you seen that movie where at the Red Sea, the people come and they're trapped there by the waters. And then what happens? The wind comes and the sea rises up on two sides. And there's a strip of dry land right down the center, isn't there? And it's just like our text says. It's just like it says in verse 8. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. And Israel passes through on dry land. Where there was no way, the Lord makes a way. But it's not just a remarkable miracle, although it was that. There is, again, in the Old Testament way of thinking, there is a symbolism here that we must not miss. Because the waters in the Old Testament are symbolic of the forces of chaos and of judgment and of curse. When you go into the waters, you are going into that place where God's judgment is poured out upon you. We know, we know this, don't we? If we look back to Genesis chapters 6 through 9, what happens there? God destroys the world with the flood waters of judgment. And he saves one man and his family through. Noah in the ark. The waters are the place of judgment. So what's happening here? What's happening as the Lord makes a way for his people to pass through? He is bringing them safely through in the midst of judgment. Even a judgment that they deserved, like we deserve, as sinners before a holy God. They are brought through safely to the other side. How? How is this happening? How how is this possible? How does the Lord work salvation from slavery, salvation in the face of such enemies, salvation from the curse of the waters of judgment? You know the answer, don't you? Look at the end of chapter 14 that pivots us towards our text. Chapter 14, verse 31. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. And so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. In his servant Moses, the one sent to be a mediator. They put their trust in him. They listen to him. They follow him as he leads them safely through the dry land between those waters of judgment rising up on either side. And brothers and sisters, this is exactly what the Lord teaches us in the New Testament. This is what the, this is what the Lord Jesus, that true mediator, has done for us. Why was, have you ever wondered why Jesus himself was baptized? Jesus didn't need to be cleansed from sin. He didn't need his sins washed away. He was sinless. Why did Jesus allow himself to be baptized? Well, in Mark's gospel, he goes into the water and he comes out of the water, doesn't he? And we hear that voice, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And the spirit descends upon him like a dove. And later, later in Mark's gospel, in chapter 10, verse 38, Jesus says to his disciples, you don't think you can be baptized with the baptism with which I will be baptized. And what's he pointing to? He says baptism is what he's going to face when he is nailed to the cross of Calvary. When he sheds his blood there. When he, hanging on the cross, 
stands there and receives the full wrath and curse when the flood waters of judgment, of baptism, pour out from heaven upon him. The Lord Jesus Christ takes that curse that sinners deserve so that he can lead his people safely through the waters to the other side. That's what we have as a beautiful picture here in Exodus 15. This is a song of salvation, and I hope, I pray, that that's a song that each and every one of you can sing from the heart this morning because you have embraced by faith the Lord Jesus Christ as your only mediator, the only one who can lead you safely through the waters of judgment to the other side. It's a song of salvation. Very quickly, very quickly, it's also a song of exaltation and a song of new creation. How is this a song of exaltation? What does exaltation mean? Boys and girls, do you know that word? Exaltation. It's a bit of a Bible word, isn't it? A fancy word. To exalt is simply to recognize that someone is lifted up. And then sometimes we say we exalt God because he is high, he is enthroned. We exalt him by exulting. We've got two similar words for that in English, don't we? We exalt the Lord by exulting in his power. We sing, we declare things that are true about him. And that's what Exodus chapter 15 is doing. This is a song that tells us not just what happened, but what it means in relation to the Lord. So this morning, if you need any further reason to sing, if you need to be stirred up because your heart is still struggling to respond in praise to the Lord, then let me direct your eyes to what this text tells us about our exalted Lord this morning. Do you see what it says in verses 1 and 2? Moses and Israel sang this song to whom? To the Lord. In your Bible, you will have noticed, I hope, That's capital letters, isn't it? Capital L-O-R-D. It's not always capitalized. When it is in the Bible, what that means is that the Hebrew term behind that is God's proper name, Yahweh. They are exalting Yahweh. It's a song to Yahweh. It goes on in verse 1. I will sing to Yahweh, for he has triumphed gloriously. This is a song to a particular God, not just to any God, not just to God as we imagine he might be, but to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, to Yahweh. And Exodus, in some ways, can be viewed as a beautiful story that sets up a contest between two kings, Pharaoh on the one hand, who thinks he's the king, and Yahweh, who proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is the one true king. And this is a triumph song, exalting Yahweh. So who is Yahweh, according to Exodus 15? Very quickly, have a look with me. Verse 2, Yahweh is my strength. He is my song. He is my salvation. Verse 3, Yahweh is a man of war. Verse 6, and then also in verse 12, he's mighty. Verse 7, he's great in majesty. Verses 8 through 10, he works with supernatural power to save his people. Verse 11, Yahweh, who is like him? Nobody. No, that's the answer to that rhetorical question in song, isn't it? There is absolutely no one like him. He is incomparable. He is completely different from any other created thing. Verses 13 and 17, this is beautiful. Do you see what it says? Verse 13, you have led... In your steadfast 
love, the people whom you have redeemed. In verse 17, do you see that? He's not finished yet. He's brought them out of slavery. He's brought them safely through the waters, but he's not done yet. Verse 17, you will, you will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, O Yahweh, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary which your hands have established. This is who Yahweh, Yahweh, verse 18, will reign forever and ever. He's a king and he's a mighty king and he's an exalted king and he deserves our praise this morning. Do you know, by the way, if, you, if you're starting to hear all kinds of echoes in this chapter 15 of things that we sing week in and week out as part of our service, that's no accident. In some ways, this is the fountain from which so many of our psalms flow. So many phrases, so many truths, so many memories of the Lord's mighty power flow from this part of Exodus chapter 15 in the Psalms. So one way, one way we can apply this, this beautiful chapter this morning is simply to sing, to sing the Psalms, to sing songs of praise to God from the heart. He's a faithful king. It's a song of salvation. It's a song of exaltation. And finally, it's a song of new creation. The Exodus, this story, this picture, which really happened is at the same time a beautiful foreshadowing of that greater redemption, that greater pattern of Christian salvation and even of the Christian life. And that pattern is a new creation pattern. Surely you've seen it. You've, you've sensed this. What does God do at the Exodus? He creates Israel for himself. They are his firstborn son, according to chapter 4 of Exodus. The Exodus is like Noah's flood. It brings them through the waters into a new world. The plagues, the plagues destroy Egypt. And then God recreates on the other side. He brings them from darkness to light. He brings them from death to life. It's a new beginning, a new start. And they receive a new commission. By the time they come to Mount Sinai in chapter, chapter 19, they will be called a kingdom and priests to our God. They're commissioned. The whole nation commissioned to be priests. What do priests do? Priests worship. Worship God. A new purpose that they're given. Grateful obedience and loyalty to their king. A new focus and a new goal. And it's all right there in verse 17. Where is the Lord leading them? Where is this new creational procession taking them? Well, here's the pattern. Here's the new creational pattern. He's brought them through the waters and he's taking them to the mountain for worship. Through the waters to the mountain for worship. That's the pattern we see here and it's the pattern that our own Christian lives follow again and again and again as the Lord redeems us and continues to lead us to his presence to worship him. And that's why I asked Gabriel earlier to read from Revelation chapter 5, where that new song, the song of the Lamb, resounds in heaven. And John gets a heavenly glimpse of what it is that we will taste on the last day. Those of us who are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, we will sing a new Exodus song, a new redemption song, a new creation song. 
I hope that for some of you, you might be able to sing that song for the first time this morning, if you turn by faith to the Lord Jesus. And for all of us, I hope that we can sing it afresh, with new gusto, with new love for our Lord, our King, because we have a glorious redemption song to sing. Bob Marley wanted to sing a redemption song, but he knew, he knew nothing of the depths of this redemption, the redemption that is each of ours as we cling to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this song that you give us to sing. And we pray, Lord, that you would hearts and our mouths to praise you as you deserve this morning. Lord, do this powerful work in our lives. Redeem us. Redeem us from sin and slavery. Redeem us from those things pressing upon us. Teach us to cry out to you as the Israelites did. Teach us to sing your praise as we go through our days and our weeks. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.